0: Great afternoon. You are in the fast lane with Sarah Jane. And today we're taking a different path in the fast lane today because I have never had anyone on the show that is a recovering porn addict. We've talked a lot to people who've uh, been addicted to alcohol and drugs, but I have seen a few things on Mr. Joshua Shea and it kind of kept coming back around and to me, that was a sign that I needed to reach out to him. So welcome Joshua Shea into the fast lane with me today.
1: Thank you very much for inviting me on my on your show. It's nice to know that I'm popping up in somebody's life, at least.
0: (laughs) You are and I want to go ahead and read um, a little bio on you because there's so much, and I wanna—I just want to make sure that I touch on everything. And I really like how this is. Maybe you wrote this yourself. So Joshua Shea is an author, educator, and speaker on the top topic of pornography addiction. He was born and raised in Maine. He started working in journalism at 17 years of age. So. You're you're quite good at writing. I've I've read a lot of what you wrote. I really enjoy that. In 2009, he launched Lewiston Auburn Magazine, a lifestyle magazine, which was the first of its kind in Central Maine. A little more than a year later, uh, you helped create the Lewiston Auburn Film Festival. You then were on the Auburn City Council you uh, you've kind of done a little bit of everything. It says following intense rehabilitation, you have worked mainly as a ghostwriter for corporate clients. You wrote the book, The Addiction Nobody Will Talk About, How My Pornography Addiction Hurt People and Destroyed Relationships. You also co-wrote a book. He's a Porn Addict. Now what? An Expert and a Former Addict. Answer Your Questions, which that is a real good, easy read because that's in question and answer format. And you also wrote a new book called Porn and the Pandemic, How Three Months in 2020 Changed Everything. Whole, you've done a little bit of all the things. And so I think this is great. And one thing I have to say right away is that when I reached out to you, you wrote to me, I'd rather have discussions that can help people. So you've been through a lot and yet you do not have a victim mentality and
1: no, oh, not at all. Not at all. Mm-hmm. I hurt so many people. My, my, uh, my mentality now is to help people who gen- genuinely are victims. And whatever happens after you die, even, even if there's nothing, I just hope that's like three seconds long. So I can see some kind of dry erase board where I have the amount of people I hurt in like the first 37 years of my life. And the amount of people that I helped from 37 onward when I entered recovery and my only hope is that at the end of the day the number of people in the helped column is at least one higher because if it's one higher then my life meant something um, and and that's that's kind of the uh, motivation I have going now and that's the thing that drives me now is to just try to uh, get out there and like I said my story is a bit played out. It's been out there for a few years but there's so much especially with the pandemic especially with uh, statistics and studies coming out now the way they weren't five years ago um, we're getting a bigger picture of this problem and uh, I'm willing to be out there share my story share these statistics do the research Um, I'm a half decent communicator I'm an okay writer Uh, and it's it's it just feels like this is the right thing to do for me right now. Maybe I'll be doing this for the rest of my life. Maybe I won't, I don't know, but this is, this is my calling at the moment.
0: I love it. And on, you've been on over 200 podcasts, so I don't think there's probably much that you haven't talked about. So I know that, um, you have a very extensive background, but I thought I would just ask some specific questions so we could lay the groundwork. So then we could ask some more questions on, um, how you can help people. Okay. Sure. All right. So let's start with what age did uh, you first see porn?
1: Uh, hardcore pornography, either 11 or 12 years old. I had an older cousin who, uh, shared it with me and i can tell you that the moment that i saw it i was hooked um it, it was I, I did not develop a porn addiction i had a porn addiction the moment i saw it i don't remember that it was, was exactly in the pictures i don't remember what the exact magazines were but i do remember feeling this like sense of warmth come over me and this sense of, I have just found something that is going to help me moving forward. I have, found, I have found an answer here to a lot of difficult questions. And the only other time I've ever felt this was about two years later, which was the first time that I'd ever got drunk. And I felt the same way. This makes me feel better. This makes me not feel like myself. Uh, this makes me forget who I am this makes me feel like a better version of myself I feel like I'm in control with this so again those are the only two times in my life I've ever had this feeling Um, you know I I didn't develop these addictions these addictions uh, just made themselves clear to me and uh, and I was an addict of porn for 24 years I was an addict of alcohol for 22 years
0: so it's interesting to see all the different things that you did in your life on the city council. You started a film festival. You started a magazine. You were doing a lot of things. And I cannot say that I know a lot of people who are porn addicts because I think probably it is something so that you,
1: you probably don't do. Talk about and right. Yeah. That's,
0: that's the thing. Yeah. I should I should say that I know about because it's not yeah. something that you talk about. So how was how it? How could you hide this? Because it was almost like living a double life, wasn't it?
1: Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't because it was just part of my life, it was just a part of my life that I hid from other people. It wasn't like I put on a mustache and you know, funny hat and went out and was a porn addict. Um, I you know, I learned at my house with my parents how to hide it from them. Um, and in general, in the world, you can hide it from people easy enough because you don't look at porn in public, hopefully. Um, and then you know. People go to sleep at night. People leave the house. You live by yourself. You know that's it's it's not that hard to hide anything, especially when people aren't looking at it. Even when I was approaching my rock bottom, you know, people recognized I was an alcoholic. You know, you can you smell like booze. You slur your words. You maybe you're off balance. People can see that kind of thing. Uh, people can't see porn addiction. You know, on you don't have those kinds of, uh, symptoms, um, that people are looking for, people can see. So that's, it's really challenging. I think that's why when people are, you know, for lack of a better term, outed as a pornography addict, I believe that, uh, it does hit people as such a surprise, um, because it is one of those things that frankly, isn't that hard to hide.
0: So if you were an addict for 24 years, you that was before the internet era, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah I did I didn't get on the internet till I was 18 years old. I was the first person I knew who had an email address um, when I was a senior in high school in 1994 because mm-hmm. um, I was always interested in, in uh, computers and technology. Um, but that was also back when you had dial up and looking at porn online was just a frustrating experience. You might as well draw, you know, a dirty picture because it takes just as long to see it. And, uh, so, so I didn't recognize what the internet would be right away, but once the speed started picking up, I never needed another magazine, another video, you know, any, anything like that. Once the internet was up to speed, I, I really, um, you know, stuck with that. And now we've got a generation of people who are, you know, under 30, under 35, who don't remember a world before the internet. And that means, you know, I had to stumble upon a magazine. I had to try to get a video. I had to do all these things that were a little bit difficult. But now we give every 12-year-old the greatest porn computer in the world in a smartphone, and don't give them any real direction on how to navigate pornography or any of the other things that they'll find on their phone. So, you know, that's that's one of the things that I try to stress to people is I'm not necessarily anti-pornography, because that seems like a fool's errand. We're never going, it's, it's, it's about sexuality, it's about curiosity, and that's a completely natural thing. However, I am about healthy sexuality, and I think that, I'm also about education, and I think that while there are people who can look at pornography and not get hooked and this doesn't even go into the to the moral argument because you know we we can go there but that's not what I, i usually fight about um i think that we just simply need to understand what pornography is capable of capable of doing in people's lives we need to get over the fact that you know the content is not something we want to admit that we uh We look at, even though statistics say that most people under 50 years old do look at it, men and women, um, we need to learn to talk about pornography because we are never going to be able to talk about pornography addiction or some of the uh, unhealthy uh, outcomes of pornography use that uh, people just don't know about these days.
0: So is this a daily thing that you need to work on? Like I talk to a lot of addicts who talk about how daily they need to do something to keep sobriety. Is this something that you need to work on?
1: You know, it's hard for me to tell because I may be working on it with you right now. I probably am. Um, And it really is a lot of my life now. I have moved into the coaching realm and I help uh, not just porn addicts, but I deal with a lot of partners who uh, suffered betrayal trauma because of discovering their partner was porn addicted. And I'm actually, I actually right now have even more uh, female clients who are dealing with betrayal trauma. So it's, it's one of these things where it's hard for me because I'm not doing 12 steps. It never clicked with me. You know, I, I don't sit on my back deck and, burn sage and and try to connect with the universe. Uh, I'm a very science rational based guy. I believe I know what works. I believe I've seen what works. I've taken trainings. I've been in therapy for 20 plus years, even before these addictions were dealt with. Um, I'm a very pragmatic thinker. So I don't think too much about um, am I being healthy today? What do I need to do to be healthy today? I feel more triggers with alcohol here and there than I do, um, with pornography, but I'm now seven years sober from both. Um, uh, so it, it, it sneaks up on me a little bit here and there, but, uh, I have not relapsed once, um, cause I'm such a stubborn person. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think that uh, I think you and I are practicing my recovery now and I can't tell you what I would be doing or not doing had I not decided to go down this road of communications four years ago. But every day I'm doing things, whether it's, you know, on, on, on the slowest day, I'm still posting to Twitter and Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm, I'm going on, you know, shows like yours a couple of times a week. I'm, you know, writing books, doing so much that it is such a frontal part of my life at this point that, uh, I think it's all part of recovery. And in a way, it's almost become a job for me. My ghostwriting is, uh, I'm trying to move a little bit away from that. It still pays well, but you know, it doesn't nourish the soul at all writing, you know, uh, marketing copy for CEOs who can barely put a sentence together, but are 12 <laughs> times richer than me. Um, and, uh, so I'm trying to make this kind of a full-time job. And it's one of those things where be careful what you make a full-time job, because at the end of the day, you know, I don't want to talk about pornography. I don't want to look at pornography. I don't want anything to do with it. I want to, I want to be done my work day. Um, and, and, and I think that helps in some way.
0: Absolutely. So when you, when you are working with the betrayal um, trauma victims, why do you think that If we have a spouse or a partner, a significant other, someone in our lives that's addicted, why do we, why would a person take it so personally? Like I hear a lot of people say, it's my fault. It's my fault. Why, why do they take that responsibility on?
1: Uh, I think it's because there are so many people out there who are not porn addicts. But do turn, turn to pornography for their release. Do turn to pornography for some sense of intimacy. Um, when I work with clients, one of the things I tell them is, you know, in a strange way, it's almost better that he's an addict. Because if he wasn't, he is picking you over. He is picking pornography over you. He would rather satisfy himself to pornography than be with you. Uh, he would. He is. You know, whether it's being selfish or whatever. There are many. Um, women who enlist me to speak to their husband or they, or they uh, describe the situation. And I have to tell them, you know, your husband, your boyfriend, uh, he's not a porn addict. He's just a bad partner. You know, you may have told him a hundred times, you don't want him looking at porn. It makes you feel bad. And he does it. That doesn't mean he's an addict. It just means he's a bad partner. When somebody is addicted, uh, I, I, you know, tell them, porn addiction doesn't happen between the legs. It happens between the ears. Addiction takes place in the head. It's, you know, people do not, you know, get addicted to cocaine because it smells good. You know, people don't get addicted to food because their palate just tells them cake is that much better than you or I. People get addicted to calm the storm that's going on in their head. They, they find something that can tap into their pleasure centers, to the six chemicals, the dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, all, all those. They find something that makes them feel better. And in the beginning, it, it doesn't feel like an addiction. It feels like a relief. But the way that addiction works, you have to build and build and build. And most of the time when a partner finds that they're, uh, that they are married or have been with a porn addict for a long time, this guy has been hiding it for a long time. And they feel like, oh my God, what else has he been lying to me about if he's been living this almost double life. And it's very hard when you're in an emotional state to wrap your arms around the fact that this is an addiction. An addiction is a disease of the mind. Um, you know, it, it truly is a disease by definition standards. But because pornography involves naked people, it involves sex, it involves orgasm, it involves sexuality, um, it's so close to, uh, you know, intercourse with your partner that it can seem like a, a replacement. It can seem like a rejection. Um, and, and a lot of what I have to do in the beginning with these clients is just work with them to understand this had nothing to do with them. You know, for instance, my wife, um, when I went into, excuse me, when I went into uh, rehab at 37 years old, I had been a porn addict for 25 years, but I'd only been married to her for 11 years. So if I had this addiction for 14 years, how did she have anything to do with it? The seeds of the addiction, which, I'm very textbook in that it was sexual and mental abuse um, that created unresolved trauma. That happened back to being five, six years old. She wasn't there. She didn't cause any of that stuff. She just happened to be a, a bystander to this. And you know, I always say you don't have to stick around. You uh, or you can. You know, it's, it's completely up to you. It's completely up to how he, how he is dealing with it. I know that my wife, had I not put in the hard work, had I not, um, really fought to get clean, she probably would have left, but she gave me the benefit of the doubt of seeing if I'd put in the work. And I did. And I, you know, I, I became a healthier person. I became somewhat of a better person. You know, addiction doesn't solve everything when it comes to your personality quirks, um, which is probably good. You know, if, if you, if you like chocolate ice cream before you were an addict, before you got into rehab, you're going to like chocolate ice cream afterwards too. You know, not everything changes about you, but you do get some new perspectives and you understand how you became the way you did. That's what happens when you're an addict. If you're not an addict, you're using pornography for a very different reason. And I think that those are the partners who actually have more to worry about when it comes to rejection, when it comes to uh, health of the relationship than somebody who is with an addict. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, then that makes A lot of sense. When I was reading your book and you had talked about a guy in there that cheated on his wife and then got an STD and then was giving her pills to...
1: Oh, that's a great story, isn't it?
0: Yeah. I want you to tell that story because I I want to circle back to what... I have a question on that, but if you want to go ahead and tell the story.
1: Okay. Well, so I... um, When I decided that I wanted to do a book about the early days of the pandemic, um, I wanted to first be confirmed that people were acting differently. You know, I talked to a few people I know who were early in their recovery, and some of them were having trouble. And I have many, many therapist friends and uh, certified sex addiction therapists and counselors. So I I sent out some emails just saying, hey, you know, and this was probably mid-April, late April. It wasn't late of 2020. It wasn't late into things, but it was long enough that people could see a difference. And this one uh, therapist who I know said, you know, I've, I've got a story for you. And she started talking about one client who she had been seeing who he wanted to, he wanted to come clean to his wife. He had been a pornography addict. He was hiding other things. I don't know what his, you know, his, his pathology was, but he was hiding things from her and he wanted to come clean and he worked with this therapist to decide to come clean. And then, um, he was all ready to come clean about a week or two before the pandemic hits his wife and his uh new daughter you know newborn baby are away uh with the family and he has some kind of porn bender and decides to hire a prostitute uh, uh, has sex with the prostitute um uh, And goes back and tells the therapist, I did this, I can't believe it, but I'm going to tell my wife, I need to get off on a clean slate. We're going to do this the right way. So um, pandemic hits, you know, all hell breaks loose. Uh, Therapist meets with this guy and says, so, you know, did you tell her what's happening? He's like, no, Uh, it turns out I have an STD that I caught from this prostitute. And the therapist was like, oh, well, now you are just morally obligated to, you know, tell your your wife what happened because you're now putting her physical health in danger. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, he had a plan. <laughs> what he decided to do was, I guess, and, and, and I don't remember the specifics, but his buddy or somehow he was able to get like double the dose of STD medication that he needed. And his wife was a fitness freak and a supplements freak. So she took a handful of pills every day. And I'm I'm guessing iron and protein or whatever. And so what he did was he took these STD pills and slipped them into her supplements because he was the one who gave her the supplements in the morning or, or however it worked. So she didn't know that she was taking STD pills. And then he had what turned out to be I don't remember if I put this in the book, but I've talked with the therapist since then. He had his final session with this therapist and he's like, no, I, I, it's, this pandemic is too big a thing, I can't tell her. I can't tell her about the STD. I can't tell her about the cheating. I can't tell her about the porn addiction. I can't be thrown out of my house right now. And in talking with the therapist about this whole story, uh, you know, she's pretty well convinced as I am, uh, he was never going to tell at any point. It had nothing to do with the pandemic. It had nothing to do with the prostitute. He was having something of a moral dilemma but he was just not strong enough didn't have the tools hadn't done the work to really face this and you know instead of just saying to his wife hey i made a horrible mistake i put you in danger Here's what happened and and living with the consequences, he continues or continued or continues because I don't know exactly what happened to him. Uh, He continued to be deceitful. He continued to be manipulative. Uh, He continued to lie. And those are the hallmarks of addiction. You will do whatever you need to do to stay out of trouble, uh, to gaslight, to, you know, put the attention somewhere else. You don't want people calling you on it. So that's clearly why I think he stopped going to that therapist. I don't know what their story is today, but, uh, I'm not, I wouldn't be too optimistic that, uh, this, this tiger has changed his stripes because at the time you and I are are recording this right now, you know, hopefully we're towards the end of the pandemic. We don't know for sure, but, uh, I'm going to guess if anything, his addiction just got worse in the pandemic because pretty much everybody's did.
0: So, I like how you said that. Like there, he there was a moral obligation. Granted, porn addiction is a disease, um, absolutely. But I had read that you had said pornography is not a moral failure; it is a brain disease. So almost in this case, he had both.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and that's the thing is that I mean, I I want people to recognize that um, I have never met an addict, and I was never an addict. Uh, While I was certainly inebriated at times and while I certainly had the chemicals flowing and towards my rock bottom, I may not have understood cause and effect or consequences as well as I should have. Addicts understand what's going on, and you know we under, we we deserve PhDs and doctorates in manipulation and gaslighting. We are good at it because we practice it every day, all day, you know, year after year after year. Uh, it's it's just becomes part of us. Um, and I, I guess I look at it a lot like smoking. Is starting smoking a smart thing to do? No. Is it an evil thing to do? Well, I don't, I don't think so. It's kind of a dumb thing to do because everybody, anybody who started smoking in the last 40 years, you can't tell me they didn't know it was bad for them. So it's just kind of a dumb thing to do. Um, pornography addiction. Yeah. The, the deceit, the lying, all of that definitely is a, a bit of a moral failure. Um, but I don't think most people, when they sit down to look at pornography the first time, whether it's 12 or 14 or 18, I don't think they know just how dangerous it can be for them. So it's hard to say it's a dumb thing. It's hard to say it's an evil thing, because I don't think people, the first time they sit down to look, think, oh, this is really going to screw some people over in my life 20 years from now. <laughs> you, you just, you just, you, you, you can't see that. However, I know when I was doing the wrong thing morally, I recognized it most of the time. I couldn't stop it. The addiction, you know, for, for lack of a better term, the addiction wouldn't let me stop it. But I I, I knew what was right and wrong.
0: How and much and you... most
1: addicts do. Most addicts really do, even if they feign ignorance.
0: How, how much time did your addiction
1: cost you a week? ah the porn addiction um you know through most of my life it was probably four or five hours a week um it wasn't that that crazy the drinking was much higher um on honestly um you know statistically i probably should have been nabbed for drunk driving a long long time before you know anything ever happened with my pornography um but uh yeah towards the end, it was getting to be more two, three hours a night, a day, but it's not necessarily, you know, the duration, you know, there are people who are alcoholics who, who drink once a week. Um, You know, it's, it's, it's really about why you're doing it. What is driving you to this? What is the motivation behind this? You know, can you stop this? Can you control this? Um, And I was somebody who I could hide it very well, but, it was, uh, you know, it was it was that little secret demon on my shoulder that I almost. When it comes to alcoholism, you can almost display that in public. You can almost let people see it, even if they people think you drink too much. You know, you're not necessarily an evil person. You're a dumb person. But with so many taboos and stigmas still attached to pornography, especially by people who view it um, and, and won't talk about it um there there does seem to be a bit of a moral component that gets it a little bit muddied you know i think people feel uh or addicts at least who i've spoken with and even with myself felt far more shame far more embarrassment judged far more about my pornography addiction than my drinking you know i i when I used to do speeches at colleges or uh, libraries or churches before the pandemic hit you know I always had this one joke where you know I went off to uh, rehab for alcoholism first that's where I discovered that I had a porn addiction I just thought my porn addiction was bad choices when I was drinking because they kind of went hand in hand mm. but you know I, I I make the joke that when I went off to uh, alcohol rehab you know, people slap you on the back and shake your hand and tell you you're a hero for getting your your stuff together. You tell people you're going off to a sex and porn rehab, which I did a year later, and they go searching for the hand sanitizer and don't want to look you in the eye because there's still that much attached to it. And You know, for somebody to, I think people see it for somebody to admit they have a porn problem. Well, they must really have a porn problem because nobody talks about it. And that's part of the problem about where we are and why these statistics are blowing up, um, especially among the under 35 uh, group. And that's why we do need to talk about this.
0: Why do you think that people see addiction as a weakness?
1: Uh... Because for those who don't have it, they can't understand why other people can't just live life on life's terms. Um, If you have not experienced addiction, um, it's really hard to explain. Um, The one uh, experiment that I've worked out that many people have tried, for those who don't understand addiction, um, tomorrow morning when you wake up, take your iPhone, take take your Galaxy, Grab a post-it note and put it across the screen. You know, turn up all turn up the volume on all your alerts. Every beep, buzz, ding, whatever. Turn up the volume and then cover cover your screen and put that phone next to you. If you're like almost anybody in this world, within 10 minutes something's going to ding and you're going to want to look at it, but you can't because there's that piece of paper hiding it. And then a few minutes later, there will be another buzz. Maybe somebody texted you. Maybe somebody liked your Instagram photo. Uh, I mean, you want to see what that is, but you can't because that piece of paper is on it. The people who have done this experiment, especially those who are under 35, they either last about 90 minutes or they last about six notifications, and then they are just almost twitching to the point that they need to rip off that post-it note and see what's there. Because we are a world that is, is completely addicted to our smartphones, mm-hmm. even if we don't realize it. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at some of these uh, influencers and some of these younger people who you know don't remember a world where their phone wasn't attached to them and where they didn't do everything on their phone. Try taking that away from them and they're gonna realize how dependent, how addicted they are to that that feeling of, I got to see it, I got to see it, I got to see it, that is the feeling of addiction, but addiction is probably 50 times worse, because your mind is screaming at you, your body is screaming at you, everything is screaming at you to indulge in your addiction, because you know that's the only thing that's going to stop the screaming, it's the only thing that's going to stop the pain, it's the only thing that is going to allow you to basically function. It's the only thing that you think stands between you and death sometimes. I mean, it's, it's that strong.
0: When you had gone through alcohol rehab and you then decided to go to porn rehab, did you think of it at that time? Is that when you noticed when you started to sober up that the porn was an addiction?
1: Yeah, I uh, I went off to uh, alcohol rehab in uh, April first, two thousand fourteen. That was my last day of of ever drinking, um, and I kind of was that guy who's like, okay, I'll just fake this and whatever. And about ten days into it, I realized they were talking about me. I was the alcoholic they were talking about, and I didn't spend twenty eight days there like you see in the movies. I spent seventy days there because um, I really needed it. And uh, my caseworker in the last month or so that we were together, um, he, he started to really get to know me. And he recognized that I had issues with pornography, I had issues with uh, managing sexuality and how it played into my decisions and, and my life. And he had a friend off campus who was a certified sex addiction therapist. And so that that uh, CSAT and I began to meet. And it didn't take long for him to uh, make me realize that my pornography use was not only a separate addiction, but it predated my alcoholism. And that while they did work in tandem, quite often, they were two completely separate addictions. And that he started me on the path of remembering what happened to me when I was a little kid. He started me on the path of developing tools to not look at pornography in the moment. And then I came back home, uh, me being a research geek, a journalist at heart, I started reading everything I could about it, but there just wasn't much. You know, I'm the kind of guy who can sit there with The New England Journal of Medicine and enjoy what I'm reading, Mm -hmm. but I know most people can't. You know, it's like I can't sit there and read Shakespeare and have any idea what I'm looking at, but I know there are people who do. I'm that kind of geek who does that with research papers, and I... When I went to the bookstore after coming home from that first rehab, there were books on addiction, there were books on alcoholism. There was a book or two about sex addiction, which to me is more intercourse addiction, and is very different than porn addiction. There was nothing about porn addiction, but I started to see statistics about how bad it was. And I realized that maybe I could write some, uh, I could create some materials that would help the average person, help the layman out there. And As I was starting to think about this and work through it with my therapist here, I realized that I had so much trauma. I had so much going on that before I really started to try to get my story out there or get the story about pornography addiction out there, I needed some deeper help. So uh, actually a year after I stopped looking at porn, I went to a sex and porn rehab uh, just outside of Dallas, Texas, and I ended up being there for seven weeks and while i didn't have you know nearly the triggers towards pornography that some people did there who were brand new i did have um i did have a heck of a lot of trauma i had to work through and it was difficult and it was tough but you know, isolating myself on that hill at that rehab and spending seven weeks, you know, I missed 4th of July with my kids. I missed my daughter's birthday. I think that was her 16th birthday. Um, You know, it, it was difficult, but it was so necessary. And it was really the greatest transformative experience in my life because I left understanding how I became the person I did. And what a lot of non-addicts don't understand, and even a lot of addicts don't understand this, is that addiction is not the main problem. Addiction is a symptom. Addiction is a symptom of a much bigger problem. Addiction is a coping mechanism. Addiction is a survival mechanism for something else. In most people who are addicts of any variety, it is about, uh, it is about repressed trauma. Now that can be betrayal trauma, that can be you know, in, uh, intense situation trauma, that can be uh, trauma from abuse. It can be any kind of trauma, but that usually exists within any addict. And that's why they ultimately turned to their addiction was they found something that calmed this storm in their head. And I was able to repress what happened to me at that babysitters. And I think porn had a big part to do with it. I know alcohol had a big part to do with it um, to the point that I basically stopped remembering what happened. But once we got on that path, it was easy to remember. And uh, it it was so enlightening but so hard to go through because there is no easy route through trauma. You have to just, you know, take your, take your, what is it? Scythe and just knock it down. Like you're, like you're going through the jungle. That's the only way you're going to get through it.
0: What age did you become addicted to alcohol?
1: Uh, 14 years old. Again, it was the first time I tried it. I was addicted. Uh, Shortly after I had alcohol the first time, or I had, I got drunk the first time. I was able to, and keep in mind, this was like 1990, 91. uh, I was able to find a mom and pop video store that would rent porn to me. And I was able to find, uh, or I I knew it existed. There was a convenience store that would sell to kids, no questions asked. And uh, so after school, in high school, my freshman, sophomore years, I would ride my bike home from school, but I would first stop at this mom and pop video store. And this was the time when Blockbuster and Movie Gallery were starting to put the mom and pops out of business. So they would rent anything to anybody just to stay in business. And I finally got up the guts to go to that back room that all the mom and pop stores had, you know, behind the curtains or beads or swinging saloon doors that tried to keep you out and i just grabbed a couple porno movies and i went to the front desk and i I went there a lot because i love movies like you said i started a film festival um and they didn't even bat an eyelash they just ran my card through and it was fine and then i stopped off at that convenience store and i this is funny looking back i never bought a six-pack i always bought four separate bottles of beer like like that was an easier way to, I could slip it by them if I just had four bottles and not a handle on my six pack. So I would buy four bottles of beer. I would then ride my bike home. I would watch one of the porno movies and drink two of the beers before my parents got home. And then they were they were elementary school teachers. Um, they got home probably two, three hours after I did. And at, by that point, I wasn't feeling buzzed and the porn was done. After they all went to bed at night, around nine thirty or ten, I would pop in the other porn movie, drink the other two beers, which were warm by that point, and uh, and that was my life for so long. You know, if I didn't have an after school activity, um, that was that was my routine. I was hooked on alcohol and I was hooked on porn from the word go.
0: You had said that. I used to need pornography and alcohol like people need oxygen.
1: Yeah, because you think you're going to die without it. You know, uh, uh, along with that phone thing, imagine it's, it's like being thirsty. You can, you know, after, after maybe what, three, four hours of not having anything to drink, you get thirsty. Well, if you end up going those next two, three hours, you get really thirsty and you go another couple hours, your body even starts to feel, you know, dehydrated and there, there are other things going on. Um that's how it felt to me it was almost like a thirst like a dehydration that I need this if I'm going to keep going I need to recharge myself this is the way that I when I get off kilter this is the way that I balance myself and I get back to my baseline so I can you know move forward Um, it felt like you know it was like any other thing in my life it was part of my routine Um, you know while I knew that it was uh a taboo, while I knew people, you know, I could never talk to people about it. I didn't feel particularly bad about it. I didn't, you know, think about the people who were in it. I didn't know anything about trafficking. I didn't know. I I didn't think about any of these things. I mean, I heard those excuses and I still think that a lot, none of those reasons truly stop porn addicts or people from looking at porn. But I just, yeah, I, 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 Convinced myself, or my my mind convinced me that uh, if I didn't have this stuff, it was going to be bad. And I have seen people go through porn withdrawals, just like it's not as bad as kicking heroin or kicking alcohol. But people, you know, you you your your chemicals are what run you. You know, addiction is addiction is addiction. Ninety five percent of it is the same. They every every you know substance or behavior has its different side effects. But what's going on in the brain of a porn addict is what's going on in the brain of a gambling addict, of a heroin addict, of a video game addict, of any kind of addict. It's almost all the same of the of the uh, chemistry what's going on. And you convince yourself that it is an absolute necessary thing to have or you will die or your life will just go into a tailspin and you'll be one of those you know homeless bums on the street who, you know, ha- That's where you end up when you you can't satiate your addiction, or at least that's what I told myself.
0: Do you have a vice now? Are you addicted to chocolate or anything at all?
1: Ah, I try to pay attention to it. You know, I see times that I get a little bit obsessed with things and I've always been that way. I'd have a bit of a, uh, I don't say addictive personality, but obsessive personality. You know, When I was 12 years old and I decided to collect baseball cards, I needed more than anybody else. You know, when I was 15 years old and got the super Nintendo or whatever it was, I needed to beat Zelda before all of my friends. Um, Part of that, I think, is, I don't know if that's a work ethic thing. I don't know if that's obsession. I think part of that is what drove me to be successful in business um, before all of my uh, demons caught up with me. Um, But, uh, yeah, I, I... I don't think I do right now, but like everybody else who is uh, history of addiction, history of obsession, it's still a blind spot for me. And I have to ask myself a lot. And can I make my obsessions for the positive? You know, I've been on now almost 250 uh, podcasts talking about this. I love trying to help people. I love talking about this. It makes me feel better. But The number two, I've given more interviews about this than anybody else in the world. As far as I know, number two is Terry Crews, uh, the actor. And he's given, I've been able to find 20, 25 interviews he's given about his porn addiction. I don't know who's number three. Um, Why am I doing this? You know, I have always been a little bit different. I was the guy who said there's no magazine around here, you know, and I didn't look at it as, well, That's that's. there's a reason for that. I looked at it as an opportunity um, to start a magazine, even though it was 2008 and we were in the worst recession we'd been in. Well, I'm not going to let that stop me. Um, you know, I, I decided because I love movies and, you know, I, I couldn't see any good, you know, foreign cinema or independent cinema in Maine. Um, well, I should just start a film festival. I had the attitude that, uh, eventually that, you know, what does this area just need more of? It needs more of my decision-making. So I'm gonna run for office. And I was not going to settle for not winning uh, or coming in second place. I, I won, you know I, I, you know, I was in a, a race with five people and I won. Um, I found out that government was not good for my personality type because, you know, I'm a control freak and I, uh, I don't play well with others all the time. And government moves so slow. And I like to be the guy who, if I decide I want to change the cover photo of my magazine, I'll do that five minutes before it goes to the printer. Um, I like spontaneity and and government doesn't doesn't uh, provide that. Um, I've always been a bit over the top. I've always compartmentalized my life. That's part of the problem of addiction is you're very good at compartmentalizing. Um, I used to say that the only way everybody from my different lives would meet each other was at my wake. Um, because I had my family life and I had my friend life. I had my magazine life. I had my pop political life, you know, and and there were all these different things that I, I, my wife has reminded me, I would flat out say, okay, I'm leaving the house. I got to go play city councilor," And it was, it was me compartmentalizing. And ultimately it was the end of the day after all of the meetings were done after the networking events or the work or whatever was over when the wife and kids had gone to bed and there I am and it's midnight or 1am and I'm still wired wide awake sitting on the couch just by myself. And that was, that's the, that was the worst for me when I had to just be alone in my company, in my headspace, I couldn't stand it. And that's when I drank a lot. And that's when I did the pornography, because it was just another escape. And uh, today, maybe maybe I'm obsessed with certain things, but I I try to use my obsessions for good and not evil, I guess.
0: I love it. Well, we have a really good background. We got two pages of stuff that I Have not asked you yet. So I'm curious if you would be if you would come back and be a guest again so we can tap into how um, how we can protect our children how we can educate our children. Would it be okay if we did another episode on that.
1: Absolutely you you ask me back as many times as you want and I'll come here and, and try to help the world.
0: Thanks for listening to the Fast Lane with Sarah Jane podcast. If you like what you hear, share the podcast and hit the subscribe button so you get updates on all new episodes. And we truly love feedback, so ratings and reviews are appreciated.